Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another episode of this podcast where we use stories from the headlines that help us talk about, you know, issues in healthcare. So just so happens this week, we're going to be talking about a nurse who, oh my goodness, you guys are going to be really shocked at this, but it says, it's kind of a shocking story, but at the same time, it is going to give us lots of opportunities to delve into some areas that are going to give us opportunities to educate and just talk about things that we can look out for. It's definitely an un- unfortunate situation uh, and one that we want to say right up front is not at all common for nurses at all for sure. So it's not an easy thing to talk about. But at the same time, it's sort of the concept that this whole podcast is built upon. And that is that there are unfortunately bad apples that end up in healthcare. There are people that end up in healthcare that shouldn't be there. And we got to know how to recognize those. We can't just bury head in the sand and pretend like they don't exist. So having said that, I want to introduce my partner in crime for this week's episode, Robert Malair. Robert, Welcome back to the show. Hey, Tina. I am always available for the weird, the strange, the out of the ordinary. I'm, I'm your guy. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what you're going to find on this podcast. You just never know what you're going to hear. People are strange, you know, and the, do some, some crazy things. And we just kind of delve into it. Robert, by the way, is a legal nurse consultant and life care planner. And he's been on the show many times. I'm sure you guys are familiar with him. He's been on here multiple times, just talking about lots of different stories. And so he's back to discuss this story, which he actually texted me about a couple months back. And I was, I remember getting the text and just going, what am I looking at? I can't, this is ridiculous. I, it's sad and shocking and kind of one of those things where you just want to go, I'm just going to, let's, can we just pretend like this never happened? Because well, it's one of those things that when I look at it and I go, hey, I ought to send this to Tina, you automatically know it's bad. You know what I'm saying? I know. I ne- nobody ever sends me good nurse stories, ever. Nobody ever. And this is good nurse. Good nurse is the first part of the name of the show. And you guys never send me. You guys are always, <laughs> I, that's not even true. Sometimes I do get people that will email me and be like, hey, my friend did this or that. And there, they are some really uplifting stories, but for the most part, you guys are like, "Oh my gosh, you got to hear about this." Well, in my world, when we come across these crazy outliers like this, they need to be brought to the forefront so people that didn't know about them can. And that's the great thing about your podcast that you bring to the forefront and actually share these things, just for the very reasons you said earlier, to educate and to kind of put it out there and open discussion and kind of uh, educate the public and medical professionals that this thing does exist. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, and it is important to talk about it. You can't just act like stuff like this doesn't happen. 
you know, it's tempting to just be like, hey, let's don't talk about it. Let's, you don't want to shine a light on stuff like this. You, you, that's not good for our profession. And at the same time, if we if we do that, that doesn't really help us, right? We we you you have to talk about about these things because then you can talk about prevention. You can talk about how the vast majority of people that go into healthcare are just amazing, caring, self-sacrificing people who will do anything to help the people that they're there to take care of. And that that's what I've experienced in my career are people that are just literally doing everything that they can to help their patients. And they are furious and they're absolutely shocked and, and infuriated, just like I am and just like Robert is, to find out that there's a person who infiltrated you know, our profession and basically, you know, they're, they're un- under the guise of somebody who wants to care for people. And in reality, they're something very different. That is the perfect intro into this whole thing. I know. It's, oh. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house. So it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So we're going to talk about this person. This is going to be the story of Heather Press D. And we might as well just talk about how this all started. Investigators learned that three patients at the Quality Life Nursing Facility had been taken to Butler Memorial Hospital for hypoglycemia, or as we know, is low blood sugar. And there are are people that listen to this podcast that aren't necessarily medical. So I like to try to Sometimes we can get kind of like forget, you know, that pe- that not everybody understands what certain words are. So low blood sugar, I feel like most people know what that is. Hypoglycemia, same thing, hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. So this is after a shift in which Heather Presti had cared for these patients. Two of the men who died a month apart were sweet mates at the nursing home. Their rooms were connected by a restroom. And in each case, their blood sugar levels dipped from a normal range above 100 to well below 70. The first patient was a 55-year-old man who was not at all a diabetic. He passed away in the hospital. His death was primarily due to respiratory failure and recurring fever, but low blood sugar was also a, a major contributing factor. And if you think about it, if you if you're not, you know, you're not a diabetic, you're minding your business, doing your thing, you know, you're just living at a, at a nursing home, and then all of a sudden someone in, injects you with insulin, causing your blood sugar to drop, and then you end up in the hospital, and then you develop pneumonia, or you know, from for whatever reason, subsequently you die from maybe respiratory failure or some other of some other issue. What started it all? Why did you end up in the hospital? For those of you that don't know. Hospitals, hospitals, not the best place for us to be. It's it's not the safest place to be, and it's because you're just full. They're full of sick people. There are full of sick people. There are bacteria everywhere. There there are so many different types of bacteria there that are resistant to very strong antibiotics. So it's just not a good place for you to be. 
it's the best place for you to be if you're really sick and you have to be there, then obviously you have to be there. But if you you certainly don't want to be, you know, have something done to you that's going to make you go to the hospital. The last place you want to be if you don't need to be there is a hospital. Would you agree with that, Robert? Definitely the last place you want to be whenever you shouldn't have been there in the first place, especially when the medical person caring for you is the result of being there. So, yeah, it's bad enough when you get there and you don't want to be there or something you know, negative happened that resulted in you being there. It's a whole different uh, kind of bad whenever you never should have been there to begin with. So, yeah. And uh, like you said, I mean, the antibiotic resistant strains that are out there of different viruses and, and I mean, bacteria, that, that's where they live. That's where they, that's where they are. And so that's why hospitalization rates are, they try to keep people out of the hospital as much as possible, back on your feet, get out, get moving. And uh, yeah, so you don't want to be in the hospital. Exactly. So the thing is, once you get into the hospital, your chances of something happening, like, for example, a medical error. A nurse making some sort of medical error and giving you the wrong medication leading to your death or, or you know, really some horrific healthcare event that, that can cause you to be completely incapacitated. I mean, that, that stuff happens. We've definitely talked about those situations on this podcast before. I mean, let's face it, hospitals are run by human beings, most of which are well-intentioned, most of which are highly educated, highly skilled. And there to try to do the very best they can. And yet, under the very best of circumstances, bad things happen sometimes. So you don't want to be there if you don't absolutely have to be there. So in a, in a circumstance where someone did something to facilitate your being at the hospital, and then you end up there and ultimately dying, I feel like you have to trace that all the way back to whatever action caused you to have to go into the hospital. That's that's just my opinion about it. And, and Robert, with you doing kind of what you do as a legal nurse consultant, I feel like this is this is this sort of kind of like the sort of thing that you might be asked as a legal nurse consultant. Oh, this is right down the path of what I do every day. And I mean, not not only for nurses that do things intentionally, as you will find in this case as we go through it, but I mean, the reality is, is there is human error like you talked about. And as a legal nurse consultant, I, I review cases from all types of medical facilities, from acute ER, ICU, med surge, and then into the rehab and nursing home settings. We have mistakes that happen, and then you have malpractice, which actually is a, you know, a breach of duty when someone is set to provide a service and fails to provide that service safely or by the standards, and then they result in an injury or a, a negative outcome. But yeah, the reality is is that we are people. We do make mistakes. Sometimes they carry a lot more weight or are exponentially worse than others, as is in this case, which was intentional. So, yeah, exactly. And so that I I, you know, I say that because you might think, well, well, he died of respiratory failure, so that didn't have anything to do with the hypoglycemia. But why was he there in the first place? Why was he struggling with respiratory failure? And as a nurse, I know that once you enter the hospital, the chances of you acquiring some sort of an infection, pneumonia or something like that, that's hospital acquired, it goes up pretty significantly, especially the older you are. To me, I'm immediately thinking that that somehow contributed to his death initially. So this man in particular was hospitalized twice because of dangerously low 
blood sugar levels. In October, his blood sugar was extremely low at 24. After treatment, he returned to Quality Life Services. On November 20th, staff observed that he was weak and sweaty. His blood sugar was initially too low to measure. I've had that happen before. I don't know if you have, Robert, I'm sure you have, where you take some, someone's, you know, they, they become unresponsive. It's <laughs> just, you, yeah, you, you take their blood sugar in the machine. You're like, is everything working okay? Because, but you know, immediately, like, clearly we've got to do, like, where, yeah, where is the D50? I've got to do something about this immediately. They gave him glucagon, which is a drug to quickly, you know, helps uh, raise blood sugar. And that increased it to 24. They had to administer it two more times to get his level up to 53. Which tells you he was already knocking on the exit door. If it takes that much to get them back even to an unstable 53, but it's higher than 24. I mean, they're already, the symptoms are already very, very similar to someone that's chronically ill and dying. So, yeah. And you're fighting against that insulin that is in his system. You know, it's hanging out in the system. It has a half-life. It's hanging out in there just doing its thing. <laughs> and so you are putting uh, D50 or glucagon, whatever it is that you're putting into their system to try to increase their blood sugar. And it's fighting against all that insulin that somebody put in there, whether it was intentional, whether it was a mistake. If you don't understand the medical significances, I mean, you're basically, your brain is starving because they've administered so much insulin because there, there is no more sugar turns into what we call ATP or energy for the body and insulin totally depletes that. Well, the brain is a very active organ that uses that to speak to itself through the neurons that and stuff that are in the brain. But basically the, the brain is and the body is starving. When it starts to starve to that point, it just starts shutting down incrementally, just try to preserve life. And when your blood sugar is below 24, your body it's literally shutting down. It has no way to survive or to work. So it's very extreme measures. Yeah. And so think about this. They are trying to get his level up. They get it up to 53. He's then taken back to the hospital. There, his blood sugar dropped to 17. So doctors immediately suspected that he had been mistakenly or deliberately given insulin. Since then, in his case, he could not speak for himself. He could not actually inject himself because of, at his baseline. He would not have been able to inject himself with insulin. They knew that this is not something that he did, you know, to himself. He didn't accidentally give himself too much insulin. You know, some th this raised concerns for them. Tests confirmed that the insulin was not naturally produced by his body, and they can tell just as an uh, opportunity to educate people that for <laughs> for if for whatever reason. You know, sometimes I get a little freaked out on this show because I will come across a a story that it is so recent that I know that I, I've been doing this show now for going on six years. And so I know I've been telling you guys for almost six years, for five and a half years, I've been telling you guys about these stories, about what people do, about what can happen. And, and I've done all kinds of different stories. But this happened after this show is going on, after we've been talking about this. So it, 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 to me, it's sort of a surreal kind of thing because I'm just like, how is somebody out there doing this stuff? I'm going to go on a tiny little Tina tangent here. There was a time when I was working at the bedside in, the, in CBICU and I was precepting a new nurse. She actually wasn't a new nurse, but she was new to that unit. She had worked as a nurse on a PCU 
for a couple of years. So she had enough experience that I had confidence in her to be able to handle just routine kind of nursing stuff. Okay. And so we had a patient that was not necessarily a ICU level of care. And that happens sometimes, you know, you're working ICU and your patient's for whatever reason, the doctors are just letting them kind of hang out there. But, you know, they, they could be on a step down or even maybe even a regular floor. But so you're kind of taking care of these people. What, if you're precepting someone who is an experienced nurse who's worked on a progressive care unit for a couple of years, and so this is really not an ICU level of care, then you're going to give them an opportunity. You're going to give them a little bit more of a leash, right? You're going to give them a little more opportunity to kind of like get their feet under them and you you do what you can. Let me know if you need anything. And so I was kind of giving her some free reign with this patient. And this patient had a, an insulin pin that had been ordered. And she came to me at one point and said, so uh, how would you normally give insulin in the, with you using this pin? And I said, oh, well, there's a little adapter that you get and you screw it on the end. She's like, oh, I didn't realize that. And I was like, oh, let me show you. Let's go do it. And she goes, oh, I already gave it. And I'm like, oh, how, oh, really? Yeah, you gave, so how did you get, you know? So she said, well, I just drew it up out of, she basically used a blunt needle and drew it up, or she used the insulin syringe is what she told me. And she drew it up out of the insulin pen, the injector pen, which I'd never heard of before. And I was like, oh, I said, I've never heard of anybody doing that. And I asked her specifically how much she had given and she told me and I was like, oh, okay, that's okay. Well, in the future, this is how you will do it. And I went and got the little adapter and, you know, so it seemed as though everything was fine. I confirmed with her how much she gave him and everything should have been okay. The next day, however, we were still there. We did not have that patient. Another nurse, this happens sometimes, you know, like you get assigned different, you know, like today you're going to have this patient and that patient. The nurse practitioner kept coming up to me saying, so yesterday when he got his insulin, how much did he get? And I, I was like, well, she said she gave him this much, you know, like, and I didn't understand what, what the big deal was because I didn't have the patient. I didn't know what was, what all was going on. I did see some activity of going back and forth to his room. At some point, it just kind of like made me uncomfortable. I started putting two and two together. Because I realized like, okay, there's like a lot of activity going on around his room. The nurse practitioner specifically asked me, I, I remember her saying something to me about this. So, and I went up to the nurse practitioner. I said, why are you asking me about this? And she told me that his blood sugar levels have been dangerously low all night long and all day. And so they were like, is there any way that he got more insulin than he was supposed to. And I immediately just like my heart just like, ugh, I just felt just, I can't even explain, I, I can't even describe to you. It was just this awful gut-wrenching feeling. I knew, I just knew it. I knew it. Yeah, it was awful. I knew that something bad had happened the day before because of that conversation that I had. And so then I had to go up to her. And I looked at her right in the eye and I was like, you have to tell me right now, yesterday, when you asked me about how to, you know, use the insulin pen, tell me right now, what did you do? And she said, I drew it all up and gave it to him. And I was just like, oh my God, 
So I just immediately was like, okay, all right, I have to go tell her this has happened. And I immediately went over and I talked to the nurse practitioner and everything was, you know, she was like, I knew it. And she, she was like, I knew something had to happen. So we, we aired it all out. The educator got involved. The patient was fine. They had D10 running for a long time. But that answered the question, what happened? And what she said was, I just misunderstood. She thought that the whole pen, and if you went back and looked at the order, you would understand why. Because the order almost made it seem like that pen contained the exact amount. And it, unfortunately, when you scan the pen, it looks as though if you give that whole thing, it's the exact amount that you're supposed to give. So it, it, it was just a nightmare. It was a complete nightmare and everything was fine, but it could have ended badly. Very, 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 very badly. And it didn't and, every, and everything was okay, but it was a complete accident. There was no ill intention whatsoever. Absolutely none. And I, I mean, really, that man could have died, really. And so when I think about something like this, I, I immediately think about that situation where, oh my gosh, like very well-intentioned people trying to take care of this person and the outcome could have been really bad. The only question I have about what the story you just shared is why whenever you obviously went to her and said, how much didn't, what process did you use? Why didn't she say I injected the entire amount? Because the fact that she didn't tells me either one, she had no clue what she was doing or two. She screwed up and she didn't want to admit it. That's a great, you know, way, the way that you worded that was exactly kind of how I looked at it too. I was like, okay, but I specifically asked you, and I think that we, everybody kind of was in that same mindset, like the educator, the nurse practitioner, we were all, we had her there. And it's kind of one of those situations where you're like, so, so I asked you this and she admitted it right in front of everybody. She thought that if she gave the whole thing, she was giving the five units that she was supposed to give as opposed to 300 units. Does that make sense? It's like, if you scan it, it looks as though I scan this. If I give this med, it, I'm giving five units. It scans it up as a unit dose instead of an entire pen dose. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, which that's a pharmaceutical issue, the way that it scans in. I've, I've actually seen that. And so that's, but, but, and again, this is the legal nurse part of me and very much the forensic side of me. Nurses know that there's there's supposed to be five rights. And when, you, when you're doing that dose, make sure it's the right patient, make sure it's the right dose. You should be checking against the MAR and on the pin itself before you, the fact that she stuck a needle in the pin and withdrew the stuff. I mean, that, something sketch. I mean, cause, I mean, what nurse doesn't, I mean, I don't know. And I've seen some crazy stuff. I've never seen somebody withdraw insulin from an insulin pen to inject it. I'm not even sure how you do that. I didn't either. I, I swear. I, we, we were all, like this conversation you and I were having, we were all doing this. I didn't even know you could do that. I didn't either. We were looking at, and when you open it up, there is a like little rubbery where your the little adapter that you would put on there and screw on to inject. There's a little rubbery. I mean, that's where the needle goes into. So yeah, you can and absolutely, clearly you can inject. Uh, it, it never would have occurred to me. And that, that's the thing. And that's part of the education at the time that, that we gave and I gave very, very sternly is that you don't ever do anything unless you're a hundred thousand percent sure. 
of what you're doing. If you've never given insulin before with an insulin pen, don't give it unless you have an experienced nurse standing right there beside you. That's why you have a preceptor. I knew I was going to use this as an opportunity to tell the story because, man, I learned a lot as a preceptor. I mean, and you have to do this. You have to let people, if you're training someone, you cannot hover over them constantly. You kind of have to assess the situation and say, she's taken care of, clearly she's taken care of these people. She's been following me around for a while. I should feel comfortable enough to allow her to take care of this patient. And what she did was took it upon herself to go ahead and administer a medication that she had never administered in a route that she had never administered before using a mechanism that she had never done before. And then asked me after. And I think that's what happened. She did it and then realized, should I have done it that way? It was just like she knew that she shouldn't have done it. And then, but she did it. And then she then decided I should have asked, but now I need to go ask because what if I have to do it again? And it was too late. I think she legitimately thought she only gave five units because I don't think she realized there were 300 units of insulin in that pen. That's where like the order and the MAR failed us because she was like, well, I scanned it. It said five units I gave. I just drew the whole thing up, you know? So I don't know. And for all of those of you that are out there that run or own or manage medical facilities that hire and have nurses work there, appreciate the nurses you have and pay them what they're worth because they are holding people's lives in their hands with every single thing they do. It's just reality of what we see. And as a legal nurse consultant, I've seen simple mistakes turn into tragedy with no ill intention at all. But the reality is, is as nurses, they're being rushed through school. Every educator in the nursing programs will tell you that. They get on the floor, they're rushed through some kind of introduction to the unit or whatever facility they're going to work at, and then they jump in and everybody's excited to to do the work. Take a moment to accept and relish the severity of of what you're doing. It's a sobering thought to think of how much people's lives are in your hands at any given moment with medications, with anything you do. And if it's not something you know or been trained how to do, go ask. You're better off making sure who get the adequate training and and understand what you're doing because those people's lives, a baby in this instance, but whoever the patient is, is always, I mean, they're in your hands. Yes, absolutely. And the the thing is, in in this in the particular case that I was talking about, everything turned out okay. It could have definitely ended differently. I was 100% open and transparent about everything. I said exactly what happened. And so did she. Now, whether or not she was 100% transparent from the very beginning, I don't know. I, I, I tend to want to give people the benefit of the doubt. But she did ultimately admit what happened. So the, the thing is, because of all these different situations, there are nurses that are being held accountable, like legally, not just legally, but criminally accountable. I could have very easily, and my orientee could have very easily been handcuffed and walked, carted off that unit. I mean, really, I'm not exaggerating based on some of the stories that I've read, because that's how they're taking these things now. This is the very reason that there are a lot of nurses not wanting to work at the bedside, because they feel like the risk of them losing their freedom is just not worth it. If they aren't going to be able to just make a legitimate mistake, just making a mistake, doing the absolute very best that they can 
I think it's a good thing too, though, because it's called more focus onto the nursing scheduling and patient to nursing ratios. It's called into question. I mean, let's look at acuities and see what nurses numbers should be, not just on you have three patients a day. Well, not always three patients should be handled by one person. It has to be. It has to be based on acuity. And at, at the national level, they're looking at those things now. I hope so. Maybe that is something that's good that is happening as a result of, of some of these things. And I, I, I understand that sometimes that's just how it works. Unfortunately, some people have to be sacrificed in order for things to change for the good. I just feel like it's, it's sad because any of us could at any time be a patient in the hospital. And if we're doing things to drive really good nurses away from the bedside, like just making them feel like, hmm. You really aren't allowed to allowed to be a human being. You're not allowed to just, you know, you can't make a mistake. If you do, I can tell you that that weekend, we we had three patients in, C, in CVICU. Now, that patient was not, at the time, an ICU patient. He became an ICU patient, but he wasn't. But we had two other patients that were very, very sick, which is the reason that the nurse who was the orientee was given a little more leash because I was handling the sicker patients. But is that the way it should be? Or should the preceptor be allowed to spend, you know, actual real quality time with their orientee? Actually precepting. Right. Or should it be like, oh, well, you're, you know, you, you, there's two of you, so we're going to give you three patients. You know, that's usually the way it works. And if you're the family member or you're the patient that's in that ICU, does that make you feel comfortable? It doesn't make me feel comfortable. Clearly, this is the kind of thing that can happen. We are not talking about this in this in this particular story. That is not at all what was happening here. So I'm just telling you that I, I was using this as an opportunity to tell you an example of what can happen from well-intentioned nurses, from nurses who are there to help people, there to prevent bad things from happening to people, there to try to facilitate the patient getting better and improving in their hospital experience and actually helping the, the patient and the family and navigate through their experience and improve. That is not at all what this story is about, unfortunately. And this patient, despite being given continuous dextrose in the hospital, which is, you guys know that, a, 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 like a basically fluids with lots of sugar in it, his blood sugar levels just could not be stabilized and he died on December the 4th. It's basically Narcan for insulin. It's like, yeah, trying to reverse it. You're battling it. It's the Narcan for opioids, but this is, it's the Narcan for insulin overdose. Yeah. yeah insulin is, is driving that sugar into the cells and that you're putting more sugar. You're just trying to put more sugar in. Well, police reports said that Heather Presty, who was working at Quality Life Services the morning that this patient was last taken to the hospital was responsible for the locked medication cart and was his assigned caregiver. That that was the first patient. So the second patient was an 83-year-old man. He was a longtime resident at Quality Life Services. He also passed away. His death was due to respiratory failure, advanced dementia, kidney disease, and heart disease. He had diabetes but did not require insulin injections and couldn't give them to himself Presty was working the night shift on November 19th and 20th. On the morning of the 20th, the man was found weak and sweating. His blood sugar was extremely low at 29. Despite receiving three glucagon injections, 
which temporarily raised his blood sugar to 71, 63, and then 61. His levels could not be maintained. He was taken to Butler Memorial Hospital that morning, shortly after the first patient. He was on hospice care at Quality Life Services, and his family decided to return him there. He died on Christmas Day. Sandra Carroll, a nurse with over 30 years of experience at Quality Life, noted that both men were hospitalized for low blood sugar within half an hour of each other. This was unusual, especially since their rooms were only separated by a bathroom. After suspecting insulin injections, Carol and the medical director looked into insulin types. Humulin R, a rapid-acting insulin, starts working in 30 minutes to an hour and peaks in 5 to 10 hours. Humulin N, used routinely for diabetics, begins in 1 to 1.5 hours, peaks in 4 to 6 hours, and lasts a day. So that's the thing about, the, about insulin, is you, you give it, and then it just tends to hang out, you know, depending on the type of insulin that you're giving, it can hang out for a while and really wreak havoc if you're, if, especially if the healthcare provider that's caring for them has no idea that they were given that insulin. So they're just like, what is going on? So she believed if the men were given insulin at night, the effects would match the timing of their low blood sugar incidents. Carol recalled a conversation with Heather Presty about the first patient where Presty suggested that he would, quote, be better off dead. Carol emphasized that while his quality of life was poor, medical staff are committed to do no harm, and it's their duty to ensure a quality of life for patients as long as they are alive. Thank you so much, Nurse Carol, for being the kind of nurse that you should be in advocating for this patient against this horrible person, unfortunately, that was in charge of taking care of him. This third patient that we talked about, 73-year-old man who was not diabetic, was under the care of Heather Presty. He is mentally alert, but physically unable to give himself insulin. Records show that Heather Presty last gave him medication around nine o'clock at night. And then later that night at about 1113, he was found having a seizure in his bed which was unusual as he didn't have a a history of seizures. A nurse tested his blood. And this is something that's pretty common. If you are working in a hospital, one of the very first things that you're going to do if you go and find a patient unresponsive is get their blood sugar. It's usually somebody is going to be responsible for going and grabbing a blood sugar machine and like just like uh, check their blood sugar real fast. And so that's what they did. And it was low at 73, not necessarily alarming. But low, and I'm sure they were probably thinking, shouldn't be this low. And if a patient is used to having a much higher blood sugar than that, I can imagine that causing them to be where where it's not dangerously low, probably still going to make them feel kind of lethargic. So they rushed him to the hospital, and it was found that his blood sugar had dropped even more. The hospital contacted Quality Life Services, questioning if he had been given insulin. The call was recorded in his medical notes, but. And also, they did report it to Heather because she had been taking care of him, but she didn't take any action. His blood sugar eventually stabilized, and he was he was moved to a different facility after eight days. Another nurse who took over after Presty noticed the man was unwell. This nurse saw Heather Presty around 9.30 p.m. and told her to leave, but Presty stayed heading towards the man's room. So it's like 9.30, she must have done handoff. She gave medicine and then was supposed to be leaving. And then she hung around that kind of 
maybe is a little bit of a red flag. I don't know. I mean, who doesn't want to go home at the end of their shift? You want to leave. You want to get out of there. I mean, oh my goodness. I've never known anybody to want to hang around. The worst thing that could possibly happen is like you're walking off and then there's a code and you're just like, oh, like you don't want to just leave. So you're going to turn around and be like, can I help? You don't really want to be there. So if somebody's telling you, you go, you're going to go. You're going to go. If somebody's like, you go, I've got this, you're going to go. And if you choose to stay, why? Why are you staying? We all know that when we're taking any medication or supplement, dosage matters, and it's important to take enough to get the desired result. For example, only taking a 10 milligram Tylenol might not help with your headache. Well, the same is true for CBD. If you try a low dose CBD product, you may not feel anything, but it's not the CBD's fault. The dosage is the problem. This is why CBD Stat only makes high dose CBD products that actually work. And now their products are getting even stronger. CBD Stat is happy to announce that they're launching a new extra strength version of its highly popular topical products that have 7,500 milligrams of CBD. This new strength will by far maintain CBD Stat's status as the most powerful CBD product line on the market. More CBD means it's more effective in helping everyone tackle daily aches and pains. CBD Stat sent me a box of these new products and I already knew it was going to work because I've been using it for my neck pain and foot pain, but I can definitely tell a difference in this new strength and I'm really excited to get to tell you guys about it. And on top of these new higher strength products, they're also dropping prices across the board on all their products to make CBD Stat not only the most effective on the market, but also the most affordable. And don't forget, all you healthcare workers out there, get a special additional discount to help keep you strong. Just head to cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare and find your new secret weapon. That's cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare. So during the seizure, the nurse saw a box of lancets. Okay, those are little devices, little plastic devices that are used for testing blood sugar. Little, they're like, um, they inject a tiny little needle into your finger. I'm sure you guys probably have seen this if you have ever had your finger pricked. Um, so they were there in his room. And that was strange because neither he nor his roommate needed them. They weren't diabetic. and They, weren't, they didn't require their blood sugar to be checked. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a red flag for this nurse. Dr. Angela Rhodes, who treated him at Butler Memorial, believes he was injected with insulin causing his seizures due to a rapid drop in blood sugar. His blood test showed a dangerously low sugar level and high insulin, indicating he received a lot of sugar treatment. On May 24th in 2023, investigators went to Heather Presti's home to execute a search warrant and to interview her. They read her, the Miranda writes, and then she agreed to speak with them and signed consent forms to allow them to search her home vehicles, and cellular devices. It almost feels like she was just like kind of given up to me. Because I mean, if, at this point, for you to, you kind of know what you did. And you're just letting them come on in, search whatever. Here's my cell phone. She told the detectives that she went to community college for nursing, but actually at first didn't finish her degree. Instead, she became a veterinary technician and worked in that capacity for 14 years. She said that she provided critical animal care, including administering anesthesia and also euthanasia. She said that she later returned to nursing school and completed her degree and became a registered nurse. She also said that she was currently pursuing her master's in nursing. She started working at various facilities, and then within two years of obtaining her RN degree, she became an assistant director of nursing 
at the quality of life services in Chicoa. So she was actually the assistant DON at this facility. I mean, it's kind of surprising to me. It sounds to me like she was carrying over her euthanasia services. I thought the same thing. I can tell you why I thought it. From a forensic standpoint, you see that background, and then you see or see in this pattern. I've just learned, and after doing this for 20-something years, there's no such thing as coincidence. And I don't know why she got involved with the euthanasia, other than it, maybe it was just part of that. But something, something's not stable in her mind. And that's basically what she was doing. And, and her statements to that first nurse about, well, he need, it was time for him to go, or however she worded it, that was her mindset. She thought she was playing God. And she was going to pick and choose who died or whatever. And it's just a sick, sick, demented mind. Sociopathic. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. She actually became the interim director of nursing. And according to her, she had to provide direct resident care if there were call-offs. So in addition to having to take care of patients as as the DON, she's having to do her administrative duties and also work as, you know, actually passing meds and taking care of patients. That would be very, I can't even imagine how hard that is. And I do feel bad for people who are having to work in that capacity. That has got to be awful. And I I would imagine the turnover is probably terrible at these facilities. What I would want to know more detail about is, as a prior DON of uh, long-term care facilities, there is actually regulations that prevent a DON from doing direct patient care over a certain census, over a certain number of residents in a facility, they are not allowed to provide patient care. They are supposed to focus on the supervisory and managerial roles that they are in. So it'd be interesting to find out what size facility this was, because there are very specific regulations that say, if you don't have the staff available, they are to bring in either travel nurses or some type of agency nurses to cover call-ins, that kind of thing. The DON is absolutely forbidden from doing those services because of their other roles. Yeah, and she I know this was in Pennsylvania, so I don't know if it's is that a state thing or is that a federal thing? That's a federal regulation. Oh, so I would imagine that has something to do with Medicare, Medicaid, like CMS kind of regulation. Very much so. Yeah. Yes. Okay. CMS. Which I guarantee you they are reliant upon as any other healthcare facility, most healthcare facilities are. They would have come under that jurisdiction. So while speaking with Heather Presty on May 24th in 2023, She admitted that she administered improper doses of insulin to three residents with the intent to kill them while she was employed at that facility. Agents applied for and obtained search warrants for the contents of Presti's social media presence and digital presence that included Facebook, Pinterest, Google, and Netflix. Presti's social media and digital presence demonstrates her knowledge of blood sugar, diabetes, and insulin. For example, on September 26 in 2018, she posted on Facebook that she, quote, may kill a doctor today. She goes on to describe an incident in which she found a patient, quote, shaking and sweating. She further explains that the doctor she, quote, may kill, criticized her because she checked the patient's blood sugar. She ends the post by saying, I know what hypoglycemia looks like. Wow. This story sounds like the old fireman who sets the fires so that he is the first person to respond and becomes the savior. And so this almost reminds me of one of these stories where, in this instance, and this is all hypothetical, but consistent with her history, what I've seen and what I do. I mean, I would not put it past her to have 
over-administered insulin to this person to put him into this hypoglycemic shock to then be the one to identify it, treat it, and then be the, hey, I saved your life because the doctor didn't even think it was, because this probably dude wasn't probably even a diabetic. And so never would have thought that he would have been overdosed with insulin. All of a sudden, she's like, that is hypoglycemic if I've ever seen it. Insulin, I would start giving him uh, D5 and, and sugar, and all of a sudden, he's back in good health, and she is, uh, for the moment, uh, God's saving grace to another human being. So I've never, for the life of me, ever been able to figure out what would possess somebody to want to be put in that situation, because... For me, any time I've ever been working as a nurse, like from the time I step on the floor and get report, I, the last thing in the world that I want is for something to go out of sorts, you know, from what I'm expecting it. I'm, I, have my, I have my plan of the way that the day is going to go. And if somebody's blood sugar drops or somebody's blood pressure drops or somebody's, it literally throws me off. And so I'm just like, incredibly inconvenienced. I cannot imagine. I can't fathom trying to create a situation in which this happens. Just you just look in the mirror and you can know you're not a sociopath. Well, you're a normal yeah, person. Thank God. The, the people people <laughs> yeah. that do this, and I'm telling you, I, I just spent four and a half years, literally four and a half years working with a serial killer. Killed killed 12 people, including his wife and children. It's a whole thing. And my time with him is the exact stuff that you're, in this story that you're telling from a forensic standpoint and from like as a forensic interviewer, as I'm reading this with you and as I read it initially before I sent it to you, what she is doing is indicative of, of sociopathic behavior. It is premeditated. And I guarantee you that, she, I mean, in these instances, these people, they, they, they have a longing or a need to be seen as, as they want to be important to somebody. And so putting these people's lives at risk and then identifying it, and she's now the savior that I identified this as hypoglycemia when the doctor even couldn't do it. Look at me. I saved this dude's life. Pat on the back. And then that accelerates and it becomes, uh, you know, this dude kind of ill, not really uh, meant to be here anymore. We can go ahead and check him out. It's that godlike complex that is associated with the sociopathic behavior, and and this is what unfortunately we're seeing more and more of in in the world, and I mean we're seeing more of this. So, and clearly somebody like this, they don't have the ability to empathize because all it doesn't take it's not a far uh, leap at all to put yourself in someone else's position and think, how would I feel if someone you know I don't I don't care how sick the person is. If, if that's my loved one, if I love them, I clearly, I want to be able to be with them. And you, you cherish every moment that you have to be able to be with that person. And every moment of life is, is absolutely valuable and precious. So it's just a completely, it's a mindset that, no, no, it is not. And I can tell you that it is of all of the, just so many different healthcare providers, not just nurses, all kinds of different people in healthcare that I have personally worked with. This is just not what I see. This is not the mindset that I see. It would be so, so shocking to see someone say something like that. I mean, to hear someone say they're better. Oh, no, no, you don't. And it gets worse. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. It does get worse. Investigators reviewed her Facebook records and discovered that on February 7th, 2018, she posted an image on Facebook regarding dosing decisions for insulin 
The image displays two spoons with one having two units of insulin on it and the other having 10 units. And it is written, if you needed to take two units but accidentally took 10 units instead, it could be deadly in a matter of hours. Then a, a review of her Pinterest paid page identified her that she pinned an image depicting various types of insulin, their onset and their peaks. Also included is a diagram detailing how blood sugar is regulated. That's very common. Lots of people use Pinterest. I did. I remember as a nursing student for these really cool ways to kind of memorize things. So that's clearly what she had done when she was in nursing school. A forensic download of her personal cell phone was conducted and they found the following messages from her mother or to her mother. These are things that she sent to her own mother on April the 6th in 2022. She said, can I kill this man at Taco Bell? Then on June 10th, 2022, she said, I'm going to murder already. She said on June 26, 2022, relating to a resident, if you get like this, you will get pillow therapy. You guys, I know you guys think it's funny. Robert is not on social media, so I don't think he really understands how common it is for nurses to go on social media and say stuff like this. It is very common. I see you guys do this all the time. I see you posting memes about how funny it is to give, quote, nursing doses and laughing about pillow therapy and that sort of thing. And I get it that there is such a thing as gallows humor and we use this sort of thing to kind of get through you know, kind of the dark and dirty kind of side of of what we do. But on social media, you're going to be judged harshly if you put stuff like this. I don't care if you were kidding. You put something like this on social media and then your patients suspiciously end up dying while you took care of them and they will absolutely use this against you. Not even suspiciously. I've reviewed over 2,500 cases up to this point as a legal nurse consultant. And I will tell you, if you have a social media account, you are listed in a lawsuit for medical malpractice. And you're just, if you're just a supportive witness, your entire world is going to be displayed out in front of an entire courtroom and all over the media. And if you, if you just pay attention to what's been going on in the media with nurses, if you have a social media account of any kind, you better carefully monitor what's on it because the jury is going to see it and they're going to make determinations and judgments about you based on what they're seeing and reading that you would post. And I I get it. I mean, I was in the military for 10 years. I saw some crazy stuff. I have a very cynical and kind of dark sense of humor. But those that are around me, they get it. I am not on social media for very specific reasons for what I do for a living. I've had death threats. I've had all kinds of things happen. I'm just not on social media because I just don't want that in my life. Um, but as nurses, um, you have to take responsibility for what you post and what you say, because I guarantee you, if you're ever listed, and the chances are, if you have any type of extension or extended life as a nurse, you're going to be listed sometime, whether it's valid or not. And they are going to dig into your life. And just be careful what you do on social media because not everybody is going to understand your dark sense of humor. And it's not going to portray you in a very good light in front of a jury when someone's either has died or had a very negative outcome. And you have these kind of dark postings. It just portrays you not in the most glorifying way. Yes. Please remember that, you guys. I know. I, I, I look in the comments and I see you guys arguing back and forth. 
about because there's always you know, someone will post a a meme that is probably inappropriate and is, is joking around about nurse dose or joking around about pillow therapy or that sort of thing. And then everybody in the comments is laughing about it and ha ha that's yeah that and and chiming in as though they agree with it. And then someone is trying to be sober in the situation and saying, you guys, I get it. You're trying to be funny, but this is, you should not be like, they're trying to come in and then they just get attacked. I'm telling you right now, they're trying to tell you it's not okay. You you guys, we all, usually people in healthcare, we do have a sense of humor. It's one thing to be shoulder to shoulder with somebody in the med room joking around and saying something. It's a whole other thing to put it in a public forum where everybody can read it aloud to a jury of your peers that are not in healthcare, by the way. So really, are they a jury of your peers? Not really, but they're there and they are going to hear that and go, oh my gosh, you think that's funny? Most people are not going to understand why you thought that was quote funny. I mean, it's dark humor that really shouldn't probably be funny, but we're just, it's a coping mechanism. In a second company I own, which is um, under oath, we do litigation prevention education programs. And this is one of the topics that we hit on very heavily because, unfortunately, social media is a reality in our world in so many different avenues and so many different apps and whatever. The reality is it's funny until it's not. And and it may be funny in the moment whenever you're saying it or you know you need that moment of of to kind of just get it off your chest. And I, as a nurse, especially as a, as a combat veteran, I get it. But in those, and then we're sitting, when you're sitting up in the stand as a, as a witness in a, in a case of medical malpractice, and you're facing 12 jurors, an entire gallery of family crying because somebody died as a something. And they start putting this stuff up and they show, you know, this guy needs pillow therapy. I'm tired of taking, and man, I can tell you some of the things I've read in charts and on social media will turn your stomach because when you go out of this it's funny point and you put it in a very serious situation as in a trial it's not funny anymore and the person that's written it when they're faced with their own words and they have to answer for them i'm telling you they would rather have never have put them on social media period it wasn't worth it you definitely regret it at that point whether you you know somehow justify it in your in your mind because it's coping or whatever at the time you you come to regret it. So point is not that you don't have a right to have your own coping mechanisms, the gallows humor and all of that stuff that's been around for a long time. It's not a matter of whether it's okay to kind of detach yourself from reality in that way. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of whether or not you're putting yourself out there. You're you're putting yourself in harm's way doing that. That's my point. I'm trying to protect you. I'm not trying to be like, I, I'm never the person that's like, trying to be sober Sally and you know, ruin, wreck the whole fun for everybody. I'm not doing that at all. I'm just trying to protect you from this happening to you if for some reason, and let me just tell you, if you think you're hiding behind some anonymous account on the internet, they can absolutely find out who you are. Please don't think that because you've created some anonymous you, account that you think is anonymous, that they cannot figure out who you are. There are people out there who make it their life, they make it their life goal to what they call dox somebody. They will, they will, if they find you have said something that offends them personally, 
they will hunt you down. And I don't care how anonymous you think you are. There are people that can figure out who you are and what that person's name is behind that account. Please don't think that you're immune to that because there are people who can figure out who you are. The police can absolutely figure out who you are if you were to become the subject of some sort of a lawsuit. So don't think that, that it's okay because, you know, you've got an anonymous account and nobody, you know, your name's not attached to it. Well, your IP address is absolutely attached to you. So just to kind of keep going on some of the things that, that Miss Presty said on July 19th, 2022, she said, if this Arby's guys says one more minute, one more time, he will get stabbed. I'm not sure exactly what that means. I'm sure it meant something at the time. But the point is, she's threatening to stab somebody. And this is her mindset. And she's probably kidding. Obviously, the, obviously the guy that works at Arby's was telling her, one more minute, just wait a minute. Because she's saying, if the Arby's guy says one more minute, one more time, I'm going to stab him. Yeah. She needs her beef and cheddar sandwich stabbed. She needs the meats. <laughs> she needs it right now. So then she sent another text that said, Lisa will die today. September 2nd, she said, I'm going to murder my AIDS. So that's another thing that ew, always get like, I feel like that's kind of cringy when people talk about CNAs as being my CNA like my respiratory therapist or my, as if they're kind of like under you or something. I feel, that's so icky. I don't like that. Another clear forensic sign of sociopathic behavior. They take ownership and make everything about them. It's, it's, this whole thing is clinically, I mean, from a forensic standpoint, she is textbook psychopath. Yeah. And you may have a, CNA or a nurse assistant that's assigned to the same patients that you are assigned to. Please don't look at it like you possess them in some way, like you're over them or you're their boss or something like that. Yes, you have a, a position of authority and you can delegate to them and you are responsible, make no mistake, for the work that, that they do because they are working under your license. You are responsible for all the care that that patient gets. And so for by if you look at it that way, that that aide or whoever is taking care of the patient, you you're responsible for basically going behind them and just making sure, yes, the patient was turned, yes, the patient's been taken care of properly. That doesn't mean that you own or possess that nurse's aid. And then that to me, it's sort of I don't like it when doctors do that to nurses either. I I, I don't feel like any of us should be trying to own each other. It's, it, I don't think that's appropriate. That's just me. I feel like we are all colleagues in this whole thing together and we need to be respectful of each other no matter what our jobs are nobody's over anybody else some people have more responsibility and and are going to be held more accountable than others there's no doubt about that but ultimately we're all working together to take care of the patient so it's just a it's kind of a gray area it's a little bit of a a mindset, kind of a pet peeve that I have personally that I like to bring up every now and then whenever I hear somebody say something like that. I always, I always feel like it's kind of cringy. She's also at, at one point in September complaining to her mom about a male resident yelling. And she wrote to her mom, I drugged him already and I don't know how he is awake. Okay, this is a whole completely separate text. I'm going to kill this bitch on the phone. Um, that's what she said followed by she's going to die. Okay, um, completely different text. I'm going to get fired tonight. If she says excuse me one more time because she can't remember my name, she may die. 
And then on another occasion, while texting about a female resident sleeping, she writes, or she could be dead. She hasn't made a noise since nine and I'm not checking on her. Oh my goodness. Then later on, she said, well, she's alive and she may die now. I, I ca- oh my gosh, Robert, I know you and your position and the things that you do. You're sitting here just like, you can't, I know you can't believe. I want to know how this person ever made an ADON and became a DON without somebody knowing that she was a crackpot. I mean, just like she's not stable. Well, every story that you and I have done together, I say the same thing at the end. I'm like, how do people not see? I mean, with these statements being on her, I mean, to her mom in a text, sociopaths can't just isolate something to one part of their life like a text. It had to carry over and flow over. You know what I'm saying? She's like a boiling pot. It, 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 Builds up and it flows over the top of the of the pot. This wasn't just I, this was never isolated just to her text message. I would I would guarantee my salary that this was reflective in her speech and the way she talked to people. And people probably just thought she was nuts and didn't realize to what degree her insanity and sociopathic behavior just extended. But this kind of stuff, and you can see as you as you started off, you know, on a couple of pages back on these texts. If you pay attention to them, they're becoming more and more aggressive. And so, I mean, you can follow and, 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 is, and is very consistent with sociopathic or psychotic behavior. It snowballs. And I mean, and again, you see that in this behavior. Again, I will repeat and echo what I've said in every time I've been on with you. If you see something that doesn't seem right, pay closer attention, monitor it, report it. Because there's, I mean, for her to have been a, a floor nurse, then an ADON, then a DON, with all of this stuff going on, there was clear, there had to be clear signs that something was not, was not going on that was right. Yeah, because if she was saying these things to her mother, she was, like, as you said, she was saying them, I'm sure, to colleagues. She was saying things that were sort of in line with the same thinking. On May 12th in 2023, look how recent this was. She said, but I may need to kill this resident. I need to set some sort of boundary with him. He's following me and he's driving me nuts. So that that's how recent the texts were going on. So 41-year-old Heather Presty has now been t- accused of murder in the deaths of four patients and hit with 17 counts of attempted murder. She has been charged with mistreating 22 patients, ranging in age from 43 to 104 since 2020, according to the Attorney General's office. In all, 17 of Heather Presti's patients have died, though she has not been charged with those deaths. Authorities say she's charged with two counts of homicide, among other crimes, for intentionally overdosing at least three patients with insulin. And that's kind of where we are at this point with her, Robert. I don't know. What are your thoughts about about this? Because this is a, a crazy story. She admitted it. It's not like, oh, there's a big question of, well, maybe she didn't really do it. There is a case like this in North Carolina where I think maybe the it's a little more questionable. I think I want to be on this case. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, in my world, I see the worst part of humanity and have to deal with this kind of stuff on a day-in-day-out day out basis. There's a whole lot of questions that I have in addition to what's here. I think this is very early on in the investigation. I think this is some very preliminary information. The two things that struck out to me the most about this case was, number one, her history that we talked about working with animals, the whole euthanasia thing carried over. But my biggest red flag moment 
is when you get down to the quotes, and they say that she texted her mother these things, and her mother never, from April 6th, what we know for sure in this report, April 6th of 2022 through May 12th of 2023, these messages. So for one year solid, her mom was getting these messages about murder, death, killing patients. Those are not normal comments. Even even for someone that has a dark sense of humor, those are not things I would ever say. And for a mom to get those messages. You would think she would be saying, Heather, why are you saying, you shouldn't be saying stuff like that. I know you're probably kidding, but, you know, like, but yeah, to just accept that as normal. No. Yeah, some some kind of intervention, a wellness check, something should have been done. If I ever saw those text messages and I got those even from a friend of mine, and I and I've had military guys come back and I'll get dark text messages from them, and suicide rates within our community is very high. I will take it upon myself to call law enforcement wherever they live and say, "Hey man, my name is Lieutenant Malair. I was in the served in the military. Would you do just a safety check on my buddy? I'm getting some messages that are concerned me." And people are too afraid to get involved. And in today's society, you can't be afraid to get involved. There, I mean, we're seeing so many school shootings. You're seeing so much of this stuff happen. If you see and you're getting these text messages, there's red flags being thrown up. You have to be willing to do something. And it's all and it, it's always in hindsight that we're like, oh, I could have done this or I should have seen this. People have to have more situational awareness, not only for your own safety in today's world, but looking out for others. Um, and if we would treat the world as the community that it is and we would take care of each other, do something, say something nice and, and watch out for each other, we'd be a much better place overall. And when you can't trust the people in healthcare that are taking care of you, like in this situation, who can you trust? And this does not shine a very good light on those of us that try to do good quality healthcare to take care of those that are, you know, in some kind of mental or physical need. And it sheds a bad light on everybody. And there's definitely red flags that could have been identified, starting with her mom, but even extending into the healthcare facilities where she was promoted. I guarantee you, in hindsight, and as these depositions start happening and they interview people that she worked for and with, there's some things going to come out. And I would be very interested in seeing her personnel file because, I mean, those kind of comments, they deteriorate, they, they come from a deteriorated, demented mind. And that's not something that can be isolated or controlled. And I'm sure it bled over into other parts of her life. And, and so it, that'll be a very interesting case to follow. So now that you're all extremely, extremely bummed out, just know that's not the norm. And my favorite words I've ever heard are just be better. Yeah, do better. Yeah. And I, I always love the, the Maya Angelou for saying, you know, I did as I knew to do. And then when I knew better, I did better. And that I, I'm probably butchering the quote, but it's basically what you know, you, you know, whatever you're, you know, you're just going along in life and kind of like being yourself. And then you learn and you, as you learn, oh, hmm, maybe that's not the right way to be, then you do better. And that's the way we all should try to be just as you know, better, do better. And in my demented mind, my dark humor, I think if we have to say do better, when we're talking about killing people, there needs to be a little bit more do betterness to that to just that. So Find a standard that's better than taking people out with insulin and, and just be the medical people that we're supposed to be. There are plenty of lives to say we don't have to create more uh, chaos and, and hurt to uh, be recognized for it. Just be great at what you do and you'll be much better off. Yeah. I say this all the time and that's the reason this, this show is called Good Nurse, Bad Nurse because I do like to 
juxtapose the the bad with the good and have that kind of end on a good note. The vast majority of people that go into healthcare that I have worked with, that I know you've worked with, are good people. They're people that are literally trying to help others. And so that is the norm. These things are the exception, but we don't want to pretend like they don't exist. You have to talk about it. You have to kind of analyze it, dissect it, think about what in the world goes wrong. Why does it happen? How can we recognize it early on so that you can prevent loss of life and injury from happening to people? And we can get those people out or give them help if they need it. But the thing is that most people that are there taking care of you are there because they want to do a good job. They want to do better. They want to be a good nurse or a good doctor, or a good whatever, respiratory therapist, whatever the healthcare profession is. So just want you guys to be rest assured that most people are out there, you know, trying to trying to do a good job. Tina, I have one more comment before I'm kind of close this up with you on the bad nurse side. This just reminds me so much of whenever I was in administration in multiple areas at hospitals and especially in correctional healthcare, during that course of time, there was we were reporting different findings and stuff to the state and to the federal government as they were doing statistics on falls and wounds and different areas to create statistical guidelines, standards for care. And what they were finding was initially people were scared to report because they thought it would either reflect badly on them, so nobody would report these things. And so the numbers were very small. And they're like, well, this isn't as big as a problem as we thought. Well, then they started doing different type of monitoring and you could report things and it wouldn't identify where it came from. Well, all of a sudden the numbers jumped exponentially because people weren't afraid of a of repercussions for the reporting. The reality is, is that things do go wrong. And if we don't monitor them, if we don't report them, if we don't address them, they're in this void where we don't even know they're there and we can't do anything about them. If you do something wrong, I've made mistakes as a nurse, and I'm, I'm not too good to admit it. I've made mistakes. I, I've made errors. It's it, To err is human. and But the fact is, I've admitted them, and I've reported them. We addressed them. Maybe some remedial education had to be had, or maybe I got wrote, written up, whoopty. The fact of the matter is, we did what was best for the patient. And I'm not above reproach. I'm not above making a mistake. And I don't think anybody in healthcare is. If you make a mistake, if you see somebody make a mistake, report it. That's how improvement is gained. That's how we fix mistakes. And most importantly, that's how we keep the community that we serve safe. And it helps actually put those things in perspective. If you hear what Robert just said and you think to yourself, that's too difficult. That's too hard. I don't want to, I don't want to risk the repercussions. I don't want to be uncomfortable like that. I don't want to risk getting written up. I don't want to risk losing my job. I don't want to risk getting arrested, whatever the the consequence might be. You shouldn't take on the responsibility because unfortunately, that is the that is the responsibility that you are agreeing to take on when you step into that role. So just realize that you do have a responsibility to be perfect. And I, I know that that's so controversial for, for me to say that. But really, you do. You are supposed to be perfect. You Are you going to be? No. But should you be trying to be? Yes. Please don't ever have the mindset that, well, I'm just human and I'm going to make mistakes. You should be trying to be perfect. Please make no mistake that you are expected to be perfect. Because in the, in the, when, when it comes right down to it, you are dealing with human life. 
you are supposed to be double, triple, quadruple checking yourself. You are supposed to be taking it that seriously. You're going to make mistakes, but at the same time, you know, you've taken on this re- this responsibility and so you shouldn't be treating it as anything other than, you know, the very serious responsibility that that you have. That's just the reality. That's just the reality. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Litman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Litman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it and she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes this stethoscope so amazing. Uh, You can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get $50 off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get $50 off your order. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. If you're like me and you don't want ads interrupting your podcast flow, you can access our episodes ad-free just by becoming a patron. You can also have access to bonus material like episodes being released early, the video footage of me and my guests recording the episode, and a brand new podcast that's offered exclusively to our Patreon subscribers called Breakroom Conversations. Your support will really help us to keep the podcast running smoothly. To learn more, just head on over to our website, goodnursebadnurse.com, and click the link to become a patron. So I guess that brings us to <laughs> that. I, I always love that we get to kind of like leave the negative, awful, you know. We get to take an emotional shower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, we don't have to leave this, you know, feeling like this. It's just so icky and awful. This story, oh my goodness, this is my favorite kind of story. It's this, you know, you're out in the the regular world, just kind of living your life, and this healthcare person just happens to be there, and something happens. Oh my gosh, I love these stories so much. I live in Tennessee. This happened in Tennessee, and it happened in Kingsport, Tennessee. I did travel nursing there about a year ago, so it's kind of weird that this happened upon when I was you know, just kind of looking up this sort of thing to try to find a story. December 26 is when this was reported in Kingsport, Tennessee. There was a woman and her newborn baby who the, the this woman collapsed. She was actually conducting, she was doing a Christmas show. She's directing this Christmas play. And her name is Rachel Cunningham. This wonderful nurse is sitting here in this Christmas program when 
the person who's directing the Christmas play collapses. She said, I could tell pretty quickly that she wasn't breathing normally. Her color was bad. Her lips were starting to get really pale and cyanotic. So I made the decision to go ahead and start CPR just to make sure that oxygenated blood was still pumping everywhere that needed to go. Her name is Carrie Kersnowski. She was the person who was the nurse who was there that rushed to her side. She said she she flipped her over, started doing compressions, and she finally took a big gasp of air, which made everybody a little bit relieved. This was according to the pastor who was there who witnessed everything. Cunningham was rushed to the hospital where family members were advised that she and her baby would not probably make it. I mean, that's got to be horrifying for your family. After an emergency C-section and several days at the hospital, Cunningham and her baby made it out healthy and safely, but not without clearly being really scared. She said to wake up and be missing three days of your life. And in that was a major life event of having a child. That is a very scary thing. But now that I've had time to wrap my mind around this whole situation, I am more than anything just thankful. And that was what Cunningham said after all of that happened. She said what could have been a somber Christmas turned into a blessing. So she said, he's just my little miracle baby, and I love him so much. I, I, When I think about the statistics of someone collapsing like that and going, you know, I don't know if she went into cardiac arrest. I'm assuming she must have. Otherwise, she wouldn't have needed CPR. When I think of somebody collapsing like that, whatever was wrong with her required her to have to be completely unconscious for three days in the hospital. And for the doctors, once she got there, to say that they were probably not going to make it, it, this was very serious. I almost wondered, did she have like a PE or something? But it didn't really say. My goodness, this really is amazing. I am so incredibly impressed with this nurse who was not afraid at all, just jumped in there and did what she needed to do and obviously saved this person's life. Yeah, I'm just proud that she uh, responded and, and, and did it. Cause a lot of people just stand with their phone to watch, you know, video it. That's That's about the extent. So this nurse deserves an award of some kind. Let's let's get her let's get her on the on the face of something instead of all the bad people. So I like focusing on these at the end to kind of get a good a put a put a smile back on your face and make you see that there's some really good people out there that do really good things, especially in the heat of the moment. Yeah, in the heat of the moment, like they're not only do they do their job the way they're supposed to when they're getting paid for it, but they're just outliving their life and they step in and do something. But I must say, she did it at church, so she was probably bound to. But um, boom. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I guess that wraps it up for another episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Robert, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Can you remind people if they needed to find your services, where they would be able to find you? Absolutely. If you are an attorney that needs medical record reviews, chronologies, expert opinions, medical bill reviews, future cost analysis, or life care plans, you can find me, Robert Malaire. I'm the owner of Malaire. Legal Nurse Consulting at Malaire, it's M-A-L-A-E-R, Malaire, LegalNurseConsulting.com, or you can call me directly at 541-241-4019. My contact information is also available on my website. Also, if you are an individual and you think that you are been a victim of medical malpractice or some type of personal injury case and you have not had an attorney review or unwilling to review your case, call me. I work directly with clients and review their cases for merit. If I find that your case does have merit, I can help you locate an attorney that will actually listen to a medical expert say, these are the reasons why I think this has merit. So be safe, be good to each other. 
Always a pleasure to be with you, Tina. I will be back anytime that you invite me. Thank you so much. I always enjoy getting to discuss these difficult topics with you. You always bring so much insight uh, with all of your expertise. So I really appreciate it. So, and you guys know that you can find me, you can email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. I love hearing from you. You can find me at my website at goodnursebadnurse.com. And I'm on social media too, at guess what? Goodnursebadnurse. What else would it be? So until next time, you guys know that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.